0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Srozvasti with the Find Your Film Podcast. This is episode 161. For this episode, I'm joined with my best friend, D'Andra Miranda. I've known her since 2009. We discuss Midnight Cowboy, that iconic film, Midnight Cowboy. There's a reason why it's talked about, because we both saw this new documentary called Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy, Directed by Nancy Bersky. She also directed the fabulous documentary by Sidney Lumet. This documentary is amazing. And so we get into the actual doc, directed by Berski, as well as talking about Midnight Cowboy. So that's about a 38-minute conversation. And then Eric Holmes has his own interview for the own intro for the second and third segments, which is has... Interviews with Sheila Omni for Pixar's Elemental. And then he also interviews the filmmakers behind this new PTSD documentary. Here is better. Both Eric Holmes and Cinematics co-host Bruce Perky loved this documentary. They, Eric Holmes can talk a little bit more about it because A, he did the interviews and he, and B, he actually saw the documentary. I have yet to see it. I am so behind on watching stuff, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Here's Better, learning how these military veterans respectively have dealt with their PTSD situation. So again, Here's Better from Eric Holmes and again, Pixar's Elemental, an interview with Sheila Omni. So those are the segments two and three. And then we have also the Midnight Cowboy stuff, all that stuff will be on all the timestamp stuff will be on our show notes hopefully you will see one of these movies tell us what you think all right guys take care and here is our review of desperate souls dark city and the legend of midnight cowboy playing in new york and la we'll have more details in our discussion thanks again for listening and subscribing to find your film the find your film podcast please leave a rating and review if you can to get us seen to more people around the world thanks again guys talk to you soon bye bye
1: I'm very self-conscious right now because I want to say something perfect and and poetic and beautiful. And I just know that this picture... I'm walking here! I'm walking here! He didn't make the movie to crusade about anything uh, at all. He made the movie
2: because he saw something in the culture that was Great. To take pictures of nobody had seen those images and those midnight cowboys on 42nd street I don't hear word saying. It was the very first movie that i ever saw that was a picture of new york that really looked like new york it didn't look like easter parade and judy garland was going to come down scene it looked as disgusting and dirty as any other part of New York. He was fascinated by America, by New York, by the
3: drama of urban America.
2: No matter what Joe Buck's particular delusions might be, the cowboy theme hustler is a very, very gay thing.
4: The winner is
2: Midnight Cowboy. I'm not even sure why it got an X. If I'm going to
0: America to make a movie this is the movie I'd like
1: to make
3: it manages to express the zeitgeist
5: it expressed its time by being of its time because nobody ever really knows their own time so when people express their own time it's generally by accident
0: Everyone, here's another installment of Find Your Film, I, the Find Your Film podcast. I am a little bit nervous, even though I'm a podcaster, because my BFF is here. DeAndre Miranda, welcome to Find Your Film. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm doing a silent clap because Same. I don't like the audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So DeAndre, you just purchased a Blue Yeti mic. This is your first podcast mic. What are, you, what are you thinking? You already sounded good without the mic when we taped, I believe, a, a little bit of a... Podcast for the whale, but what do you you notice a difference with the microphone right now? Starter mic.
5: I I don't, but I feel very official.
0: You don't? How dare (laughs) you? You you better. It's
5: all official with you, right? No, listen. I mean, I I feel very, I feel very official. I feel like I'm an ultimate podcaster now, but I don't see the difference. But maybe at the final product. I'll hear the
0: difference. So seeing
5: yes, and hearing are different.
0: Yes. And I'll get back to me and whether you hear the difference, by the way, you sound <laughs> great. There's on our zoom, there's going to be a mute button that I'm not uh-huh. going to put on you because I want more of you on this podcast than me, but I'm going to mute because this old man might cough during our review. So if you see me muted, don't, don't get too scared. Cause I'm going to watch it. Like right now I'm going to mute it because I think I'm going to cough right now. Watch and listeners, I apologize for this little edit. Okay. Okay. I'm back. So what do, do you know what we're here for this movie called midnight cowboy. Okay movie that I haven't seen. Deandra, first off, we're going to talk about the new documentary about Midnight Cowboy. It's called Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy. Before we dive into that documentary, what is your experience with that movie? While I quickly press the mute button again, and I drink some water. So your experience (laughs) and thoughts of Midnight Cowboy, the first time you saw it. Uh,
5: Actually... I don't even know how I really stumbled upon it. I was wildly impressed by it. It gave me that very gritty and raw type of environment of New York City. I feel like especially uh, Midnight Cabot, it was released in 1969, I believe. The thing I like about the movies is it's very similar to Taxi Driver. It, it was just it was like that grittiness, you know, and they definitely said something in the documentary where I think at that time, Late fifties, early sixties. Everyone was trying to glamorize New York City. Still, you know, it was like that breakfast at Tiffany's. It was just like all these type of. It's so beautiful to live here. Everything's great, and I just feel like from the opening scene to the entire way that the movie's filmed, even to you know when Dustin Hoffman kind of you we can see he um gets stricken with a little bit of an ailment is it's like that raw, it's, it's sweaty it's hot it's uh it, it was it just really showed that grittiness that didn't really glamorize New York and i feel like it was a movie very similar to taxi driver where it really honed in on the really negative underbelly of what times square used to be you know that was a really epicenter of debauchery mm. kind of like nomadic people who are lost. And I think that everyone comes. And I remember in the documentary, again, we're going to get into that, but uh, they were John Voight and other uh, commentary uh, commentators were saying is New York for many people, you you come here with a dream and, you know, you think it's going to like welcome you with open arms and everything. And New York gut punched a lot of people. And I've been here for a little over a decade. And it's just, you know, you come here and you'll start to notice that people will either they won't make it or they will make it. Or there's some people who have to unfortunately like come into some desperate times and desperate measures. So I feel like every New Yorker, whether you had these personal experiences of Midnight Cowboy is you definitely know how it feels to completely get slapped in the face by New York. And it doesn't give you a hug back afterwards. And it's kind of one of those things where you're like, do I really want to stay here? Like, is this a lifelong decision I want to make? Is this really part of like, do I have the tenacity to stick through it? And I think that's why they say, you know, New York either swallows you whole or it spits you out. And um, everyone just has a journey where I think everybody, including myself, is came here thinking it's going to be a lot easier. And then I always say it's like, you know, loving your captor where I can't imagine living anywhere else because it's beat my ass for so many years. I don't think I'd be happier. I don't even think I know a different life than to just be like a big, uh, a big person who like hits the pavement.
0: Well, let's say a couple of just shop talk here regarding the Oscars. It's a 1969 movie. It was Initially weighted X had a bunch of controversy Amidst all the controversy. However, it won best picture at the 1970 Oscars. The director, John Schlesinger, I believe won an Oscar as well. So, and then also Waldo Salt, the screenwriter was the winner that year for Midnight Cowboy are the gut punches that you've received over the last decade worth another ten years in New York, DeAndre Miranda? Or are you still pondering the thought living in the city? Everyone says the city, New York City is the best city to live, but is it worth all the gut punches? Because in this movie, we see Joe Buck, played by John Voigt and Ratso Rizzo or Rico Rizzo, as, as he likes to be called. They suffer a lot. Is it worth? Is it worth it for you for another ten years?
5: What's interesting about New York is you really don't know. There's some days I wake up and you're just like, why do I live here? The rent hikes, it's dirty, there's crime. It's just, it's It's a beautiful place. But then there's times where I think, I don't know if I'd be happy anywhere else. I feel like it, even in my 10 years of being here, I don't think I'll ever know if it's forever, but I guarantee I will probably be here for another 10 years. And you can ask me again in 10 years and I'll still say, I don't know, But somehow you just stay here and you are here. And I am a New Yorker and I can't imagine anywhere else, but there are times where I'm like, you know, I I wonder, I'm like, do I just love the pain? (laughs) Is that what what love is? Love is pain. (laughs) Love,
0: Love might be pain. Well, love might be pain regarding this movie. And if you guys don't know what midnight cowboy is about, maybe that's understandable. Some of you have not seen this movie. Most of you have though. John Voight plays Joe Buck. The movie starts with him. I believe in Texas. He looks like your very good looking six foot plus strapping blonde guy looking like the cowboy from some kind of Marlboro ad, but he doesn't have any. I don't think he smokes too much in this movie, but he looks like a very clean cut cowboy. He boards a bus to New York from Texas. I I initially thought when I was thinking of Midnight Cowboy, you've been talking about New York for the first segment of this podcast, DeAndre. The first, I think 12 to 15 minutes has him on the bus, getting to know the people, realizing how long it takes him to commute from Texas via bus to New York. When he gets to New York, he's set up in a seemingly okay hotel. It's a high, it's a high rise and everything's okay. Maybe he has some, he has his money in a suitcase. His first couple of days are kind of okay. He wants to make it as a male hustler. And along the way, he meets a lot of elderly women or middle aged elderly women. He thinks he's going to pull the con on them. And not going to give too much away. Let's just say a lot of these women he seduces doesn't lead him to a road of riches, hence the struggle in New York. Helping him in that struggle is, I guess, his either his BFF, his best friend, or his convenient friend, Ratso Rizzo, played by Dustin Hoffman. We'll get to the documentary in a second, D, but what did you love the most about this movie? For me, it was seeing the friendship of Joe Buck and Ratso Rizzo and seeing them struggle through... And it really felt like you were in New York. I mean, I was. you don't know this. I was in New York for most of the 90s on a lot of press junket trips. So in the 90s, it was maybe only 25, 26 years removed. And you said Times Square was at what, epicenter of what, darkness or nightmares? Mm. Yeah, it was still pretty dirty in Times Square. When you, I guess, moved 10 years ago, they had cleaned up Times Square a lot better than in the 90s or in this case, 1969. But going to Midnight Cowboy, before we get to the dock, what what do you why is this movie such a classic in your eyes?
5: I didn't realize it had a lot of it had a lot of under underlining messages. And I revisited the movie again as well as when I saw the documentary. And I just didn't realize that it was very provocative and it had this really weird underbelly of like homoeroticness and There was. It seemed like there was a lot of challenges. And what I loved about it is, especially we talked about Waldo uh, Salto. You know, he was he was exiled from Hollywood for about ten years because they thought he was a communist. Like they thought he was part of the communist party because he Mm -hmm. was a pretty political, uh, unconventional writer, and he had an opinion. And then you know, you have someone like we said, uh, uh, Jerome Helms, I believe, right.
0: Yeah, let me see. I think James Leo Jay- James Leo Harrelly. I think. Let me look it up right now. But the writer, the book, the the writer who penned the book, right on. Yes, Leo yes. The but yes, James he- Leo Harrelly. James Herley. Leo Harrelly. Yeah.
5: Uh, and the same. I mean, I believe he was. Uh, he was in the closet as well as like. I, I just didn't realize that there were so many things. It was really tied into like the Vietnam War as well. And what I didn't realize, and what I did notice rewatching it was uh, the same with you. I kind of loved their friendship. I think it really shocked me because, as we say, Joe comes here really bright eyed, bushy tailed, but he is trying to convey something that everyone knows he's not. He's not a cowboy. I don't really think he smokes in the movie. I think he just has a cigarette in his mouth. Like he's just very transparent to, I feel like, the modern day New Yorker or even back then. But he comes in thinking that he's going to wind up and like, you know, rule these women. And what he's really realizing is, He sticks out like a sore thumb and he felt like he stuck out as a sore thumb back in his small town, but he fit in that doe eyed, fresh face. And then he comes in New York and it's almost like he's too refreshed to like be here. You know, you could definitely tell that person just came here. He's smiling. He's chippery. He still has that glow about him. And I feel like as the movie, um, you know, continues to move forward is you could tell that when Ratso and Joe, they become like, you know, they strike up this friendship is They realize that they really need each other. And I think that both of them are very strong on their own. But when you're that strong, making it by yourself in a big major city that is very, very hard, I think that we've learned is everyone, they want a friend. You know, friendship is really, really important to survival. I think having that little escapism for them to be like, you know, we're going to make this together. And you start to realize that they really, really need each other. So they both seem like they came to the city making it on their own, proving to themselves and proving to the world that they're this big foul, you know, powerful person. And at the end of the day, they realize they're human and they really can't do it alone. And we just see a really unconventional friendship. They come from completely different backgrounds. They look completely different. They feel completely different. But what I loved is there's like that really sweet compassion where you know you could say that ratzo is really hardened, but yeah. he but he has this compassion where he's like, I don't want you to go through the same mistakes, mistakes as me. And then Joe, at the same time, is he's a little naive where Ratso is kind of like, hey, calm down because you're going to burn yourself out if you don't understand kind of how to play the game, you know? So they are two polar opposites, but they're very polarizing together.
0: Yeah. I I really love also, there's so many bad things that happen in the movie, but one of the most powerful moments is a costume change sequence, which is just within a split second. And it's towards, I'm not going to say where, when it happens, but it, it deals with one important character. i I'm will just just—I'll just say Joe Buck when he does a little bit of a quick change, and you realize, wow, that's cool, and that's just so moving because you realize he's come, sort of a kind of coming to his own. He's becoming yeah. the Joe Buck he always wants to be, and the way John Schlesinger shot it, he didn't—he didn't concentrate like, oh, look at me, look at this scene. This is a very flashy scene. It's just a split second moment, and it just. I don't know if it happened for you, but it just really made me feel really good. And it was it's a very powerful moment. So
5: I think we're talking about the same scene. It's at yeah. the very end. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was the same thing. It was something where I was like, he parted with something I never thought he'd part with. That's yeah. what I'll tell you. And that's something that I think was very, very symbolic, super yeah. symbolic being like, you know what? I thought that this was my identity. And it seemed like when he removed, when he did that change and he removed a specific thing, it just looked like this freedom that washed over him.
0: Yeah, and it didn't. It's a scene that didn't really call attention to itself. It's just happened no. along the framework of the day to day life of Joe Buck and um, and Rats Rizzo. But, anyways, look. De- let's get to the d- documentary "Desperate Souls: Dark City" and the legend. Of Midnight Cowboy, specifically, this is actually a time-sensitive podcast because it hits theaters in your neck of the woods, in New York, in my neck of the woods, L.A. Friday, June twenty-third, specifically at the Lamley Town. I'm going to start with L.A. first because I'm very selfish, Deandra. <laughs> it's going to be in L.A. at the Lamley Royal, and then at the Lamley Town Center Five, and then in New York, it will be playing. I don't know if you've been there. It's going to be playing at the Film Forum at two oh nine. West Houston Street. So I don't know if you've not. If you've we seen
5: it. we call it Houston
0: Street. Oh, it's spelled Houston. Houston, Houston uh, Street. Houston. Houston. I I I have glaucoma. Don't make fun of my <laughs> handicap. You know, we're just talking about empathy. I'm just, talking about the, I'm
1: just joking. I'm just joking.
0: Is it really Houston? It's not. It's not really Houston. It, it's Houston? It's Houston Street, Houston, yeah. Don't you ever correct me ever again. Right?
5: This is a pushy <laughs> New Yorker now. Who have I became? I've like oh, lost I, my identity.
0: Yes, yeah, so, you know. I used
5: pull- to be so nice. I used to be like, excuse me, it's... I was like, no, get it right. <laughs> okay.
0: 209 West Houston Street in New York, New York Film form, So it's going to be playing there. My question to you, D is Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy, is it better if you watch it immediately before going into the dock, or you have to be a fan what happens if you're just going to, you know, is there a prohibitive situation regarding watching this documentary? Like, you, do you must you love Midnight Cowboy to see this documentary?
5: No, actually, I think it was one of the few documentaries I've actually seen that's been based on, like, you know, lives in, um, in the creative process of a film being made, that it actually has so much meat of the movie. I'm not saying you should not see the movie because I think the movie is completely amazing and it's really profound now that you know we're in 2023 and there's just like so many there's so many to me there's so many controversies that we're still we're still struggling with and it's just crazy how that movie was in 69 we're in 2023 and there's still this weirdness about sexuality on TV and this and that and everything social
0: inequalities right yeah. yes
5: yes and you know power struggle and money and just all, like it it's so crazy after all these years we're still having the same same topics of conversations and it's still makes people a little squirmish. It's like very, very interesting. Um, but no, I think that the documentary had a lot of meat. I think that what I loved about the documentary is it had so many highlights, but it had highlights from like everyone who was involved with it. I thought it was going to be a documentary kind of based on the actors. And what I kind of like it was more the documentary based on like the back of the house from like the writers, the uh, adapted screenplay to the director to the producer, to the, you know, the score, everything. And I thought that was kind of cool where it kind of highlighted. And I feel like it kind of is coming up this perfect timing because the writer strike, but it kind of highlighted it, like how important and influential movies in the movie creators are, as well as, um, you know, the actors. I feel like a lot of movies nowadays, like actors drive products and Alcohol and movies. And back then it was like, I just thought it was really profound. Like the the amazing lineup that they had, everyone involved with that film were really, really influential uh, in their own way. And it, I believe, is this was the first movie that really put them on the map where they all were doing singular things, but it was kind of a little artsy, a little independent and this was kind of like a full on feature studio production that I don't think they were a part of before.
0: Yeah, you know what? You're right. I never thought of it that way because you get to learn a little bit about like you said screenwriter Waldo Salt, his daughter Jennifer Salt was in the movie she had a very prominent role as one of the former lovers of Yeah. Yeah, of, uh, Buck, Mr. Buck and And they dated
5: all... in real life too.
0: Yeah, and they dated in the learned, movie. You, yeah, yeah, you learned about they dated in real life and I think most importantly, I think the biggest star of this movie, I I think to your point is the director John Schlesinger, he was exactly about com- yeah about coming out and le- finding his way into after the success of Midnight Cowboy. Instead of doing a big budget movie like a war movie or a big movie that'll really do well at the box office, he does a gay theme film, Sunday Bloody Sunday. A couple yes. of years later, and it, it's very interesting. And especially, I'm a cinephile, but I learned a lot about John Schlesinger. So you were same. actually yeah,
5: exact same. I I didn't know that much about him, and I just thought it was crazy how he went literally from like independent documentary type of things they weren't as provocative but i feel like it was i i had no idea how much he really did he just jumped in and especially with the rated x you know they uh, there was a pivotal moment i remember when the studios and i believe it was um it what is it who gives the rating like the screen actors guild or i think
0: mbaa i guess i'm assuming yeah when they give the x yeah
5: and they were actually the ones who were like, if you shave off five minutes, because there's one particular scene in there. And if when you right. see the documentary, you'll hear it. And it was one scene that they were like, if you just edit this off, which literally just shaved off like five minutes, like it wasn't a huge scene. But this one particular act in the scene that they did, it was like, you can't show this. It's it's just way too much for the times. And they said, we will take the X. Because we feel like we don't need to take out any part of this movie. And I mean, like for someone to have like a studio budget and have the studio executives on their back and for someone to say like, you know, your movie will hit a brighter, a broader audience. And for someone to say, absolutely not my vision. I stand with it. I think is just, it's, it's revolutionary. And I feel like it speaks to how much the arts are really important to stay authentically to yourself.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Schlesinger, very authentic. And here's the thing. I'm very inauthentic. And I'll tell you why. Because back in the mid 90s, D. I actually interviewed John Schlesinger, had a one on one with him, I believe. I think it's uh, I forgot what movie I'm thinking. Maybe I think he did this movie called Cold Comfort Farm. I could be wrong had a one-on-one with him. Very nice guy. After the interview, I said to myself, I can't wait to watch Midnight Cowboy. After the interview, I go, I'm going to watch it. I really loved his movie. I got to watch more of his stuff. Almost 30 years later, it took me 30 years, almost 30 years to actually watch Midnight Cowboy when I think you probably watched it years ago, maybe when you were in your 20s or your teens, first the first time you saw it.
5: You know what's odd is, I think back on this, I really think the first time I watched it had to at least be two years ago. Or within oh, the last fantastic. year. Right. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why. Um, you know, we're both movie buffs. And I feel like I I love to kind of see movies that I haven't seen before. Um, I'm a big fan of the Film Forum and the Angelica in here and, you know, uh, the Paris Theater and all that. But, yeah, it just kind of came up. And I thought it was really, it was amazing. And the cool thing about it, even after, is um, it kind of made both of them a household name where right after, I believe, Midnight Cowboy, that's when uh, John Schlesinger he actually casted Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man.
0: Yeah, several years there. Yeah, yeah. Thank, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that movie. That movie is giving me nightmares. I remembered Marathon since I'm so old. I'm probably twi- almost twice your age. I think Marathon Man came out at either seventy six or seventy seven, and it was on cable. And I was only five or well, six or seven, and I watched a little bit of it on cable. And I it was. I still haven't seen that movie, the full movie, because as a kid, I was terrified by Marathon Man, and I don't want to go back and. Recall my childhood in New York watching it somewhere in Queens and being absolutely mortified. So
5: that's how that's how I was with some some reason why, like the Manchurian candidate when I was younger.
0: Oh yeah.
5: I always thought hmm. that and like Sis and Kane, like the way they were shot, and like it was just very cold. I mean, you and I went to go see, was it shock therapy or um, Yeah, shock
0: corridor with shock corridor. Sam, Yeah, Sam Fuller. Samuel Sam Fuller.
5: Sam Fuller. It was yeah. very those were very similar. They're very eerie, cold, industrial. Like you could just feel the steel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was younger, the same thing. I don't think I could finish it because I was just like, I was very confused with the-
0: what, Like what was like, going on because you are young kind of thing?
5: It was just like this weird backstabby odd, like that, you know, that now we call it like a psychological thriller, but it always- It always made me feel like I didn't know who to trust and it was a little unsettling.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of unsettling, this documentary is very unsettling, but I think like, I'm glad that you're recommending it. I'm recommending it as well. I'm going to go from the press release because they say, they say it even better than I could not as I'm going to, I'm not going to say, put words in your mouth and say they're doing it as better, better than you can right now. But at 101 minutes, it says press release, this is not a documentary about the making of Midnight Cowboy. It is about the deeply gifted and flawed people behind a dark and difficult masterpiece. New York City in a troubled time of cultural ferment. So just almost wrapping things up, it's really worth watching it, I guess in your terms, at the Film Forum, because it's not just about the movie. It's about the fabric of everything around it. You're thinking it was kind of value added that way, Dee?
5: Honestly, I'm always going to be a movie buff. I think especially when it, you come to like these type of masterpieces is I like to have the experience. I'm very old school still. I love going to the theater and still like smelling that popcorn and like getting that fountain drink and finding your seat. And there's something I, I understand that no one has a lot of time anymore. And I think that streaming is different, but I feel like when, for me, when I'm still in the theater, I pay attention, phone's completely off. I'm really engaged. I also like to see the people around me. And I think I shared with you when I went to go, um, I went to go see the new Wes Anderson film Asteroid Summer this, uh, or Asteroid City this past weekend Is it's kind of like that for me, like the homage to um, the creative types in New York. And I feel like if you're going to go to the film forum, you'll have probably a bunch of writers, screenwriters, people studying. Like there's maybe professors, um, actors in training where it's like that cool community. And then I love when the movie's over. And you hear the quiet, quietly discussing how much is influential and you could tell that people are talking. But I, I love that, you know, and it's like the same. And then you walk out of the street and it's just loud and aggressive. And it's like you were you were able to be in that little bubble for so long and uh, get a really like escape.
0: So with Film form, the environment has a really good vibe.
5: I love the film forum. I do. It has like the old school marquee. Are you a paid still.
0: sponsor for film forum? you what, going not, on? But
5: I love I, Listen, I love, I love the Angelica. I love the Paris okay. theater, but the film forum, I think always has very interesting films out of all the theaters. They oh, always have okay. some real art house, some real avant-garde, some real indie, and they always do throwbacks for if you go to their website or if you ever check them out, they'll have a, they'll have a movie from twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, um, they really do have this really amazing archive.
0: Jay, yeah, I don't know how much uh, podcasting we're going to do because you're a very busy person, but I'm glad that we're, well, we're very, very obviously close friends, but I think hopefully you're part, you're going to be part of this whole find your film universe, find your film crew. And so yes. you're recommending Film Forum. I'm over the years, we, by the way, we've known each other for almost, I'm thinking 2009. So that's at least 14 to 15 years. Okay. Yeah. So I've recommended a couple of bad movies. I think they're brilliant, but Cavalry, <laughs> I know that's a movie that you, you, you left- the theater. It's the
5: first time I've ever walked out of the theater. It was, I think I fell asleep twice.
0: Okay. You're traumatizing it, me. Thank you for that. No, I, did,
5: I just, I, I, it was funny. I believe, I think I called you right after and I just was like, what place no, in no, your life? You didn't
0: call me. You, you verbally attacked me while I was driving and said, what, what well, I just that's normal, co-
5: That's normal communication. <laughs> Ask anyone. I don't know right, how to right, talk. Right. I don't know how to talk normally at all. Yeah, yeah But I remember, sad. I remember being like, I think I was. I was in like the mood for something upbeat and like kind of yeah. cool. And you were like, Oh, I recommend this movie. And I was like, where are you in life right now? Because I asked uh, yeah. for upbeat and that was one of the darkest, most dreary films it's a, ever. It's about
0: a priest who tries to, he's, he continues to be in the faith, no matter he has an inevitable showdown and possible death at the end of this, but he still continues to go on. And I found that, well, I guess most people find it boring. Like you did, but I, found
5: it I just, I, I, I've never, it's like if I was in a, where is he in Glasgow or something, right? I or think so, Ireland? Yeah. Calvary, saw, I
0: think it's was it. What is it called? It's called Calvary or Calvary Calvary. Calvary. Calvary, Calvary.
5: Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've just I've never felt so alone. During
0: that
5: movie, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got to go. Listen. You got
0: to go. The reason <laughs> yeah. why there's a reason why I'm, I'm saying this is because a roundabout way of saying I, I don't actually recommend a ton of movies for you because you're a cinephile and you watch your own stuff and props to that. But I am going to recommend because the director yes. of this documentary, again, the documentaries, Desperate Souls, Dark City and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy is Nancy Bersky. She's credited with a documentary called A Crime on the Bayou, which I still haven't seen. But she did this other film called By Sidney Lumet. And Sidney Lumet is a director. He's one of my favorite directors. He did movies like Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, Prince of the City, 12 Angry Men. So that's a filmmaker. I think you haven't seen a lot of his films. I think maybe you saw Running on MP. There's a whole bunch of Sidney Lumet films you haven't seen. But this documentary, remember you said this movie, her, this Desperate Souls is still worth watching if you hadn't seen Midnight Cowboy recently, or yeah. maybe if you haven't seen Midnight Cowboy. Look, this is one of these things. I don't know if it's streaming, but by Sydney Lumet from Nancy Bersky is worth watching for you because it'll, you'll learn something about one of the most important figures of cinema, Sydney Lumet. And he's, it won't be one of those cavalry or Calgary or cavalry or, Cal, I don't know what that is. It's a really good recommendation, by the way. So just for you.
5: I'm looking forward to it. And I thought your favorite director is mm-hmm. De Palma.
0: My favorite director's diploma Uh, because because I'm a creep and I'm a I'm a horrible human being and like split screen and like blood and I like following people indiscriminately I don't know I do all yeah I love the Hitchcockian very good suspense thriller stuff but Sidney Lumet I don't know Deandra if you're a big fan of courtroom dramas or specifically dramas in New York because well Twelve
5: Angry Men is a it was adapted from it was a it's a It's a
0: play. Yeah, it's a a play. But then It got
5: adapted to the movie, I believe. And it was on Off-Broadway, I believe.
0: Okay, so I don't know if you've seen it, but it's- it's I have not. Okay, you would love it. It, it, But I don't know if you like courtroom drama, but uh, 12 Angry Men is a great starter piece for Sidney Lumet. But again, Nancy Bierski is a director behind by Sidney Lumet. He has since passed over the years, but he is considered a great filmmaker. So um, yeah, just as- Great, if not better. I, I can't say. I, okay. But, uh, then John Schles- I mean, he's on the level of John Schlesinger and Cindy Lumet. So anyways, I, I recommended a movie for uh, a documentary. Do you have any recent movie recommendations that you would recommend to our listeners or me or whatnot? Anything um, that you've seen recently that you, you dug with the eight mountains? Would you- <laughs> I saw <laughs> eight mountains. That
5: was another
0: one. Oh, At least eight mountains
5: was a little bit better. Cute guys, but-
0: cute guys in the mountains and they're yeah. bonding. They're Listen. making cheese. Listen, what?
5: I I think I'm a pretty uh I think I'm smart sometimes. But Italian
0: man to Italian man, stra- it was. Now. But
5: a three hour reading movie that it it pushed the boundaries for me. Like I definitely after I a while, I was like I was like I need some glasses now. No, it was beautiful. <laughs> Honestly, it was completely it, stunning. Cinema cinematography was absolutely stunning. Right. Aerial everything. Um, but I think it could have been cut like an hour shorter. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. No, but I would say like, honestly, I I really recommend, I, you know, if he's not your favorite, but I loved Asteroid City and it's not, I loved Asteroid City because of- um,
0: Wes, because of Wes, not because of that?
5: Well, a lot of people I heard the chatter of on Saturday when I went to the movies um, at the Angelica was, you know, I think it's because they have like a really like all-star cast. I just love, I, I love him as a director. I, he, like he's just over there with- uh, uh,
0: Right up there with what? Brian De Palma, Alfred Hitchcock, John Schlesinger, Sydney Lumet
5: no i Darren would say Aronofsky, tarantino no 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 i feel like he's very similar to um was it thomas paul anderson
0: oh paul thomas anderson paul, paul yeah, thomas PTA. anderson we call it yeah, yeah PTA, paul thomas very anderson. very
5: similar um where he's a little bit has like a more like a contrast with his like visuals as far as like it's a little bit dark and oversaturated there's a lot of emotions but it's very engaging um but i i mean Boyce anderson is just one of those people who like this wasn't my most favorite context i guess but the visuals it's like it's it's to me, I'm a big reader and it's like, um, I feel like I could imagine someone reading the script, you know, like like everything is, it's vibrant, it's engaging. And just when it has like maybe a little bit of a lull, like he'll have like a little cheekiness in there, have like a little funny sense of humor to kind of lighten it up. I mean, like he always has amazing set designs. I love that there's something that's very innocent about his movies, even if it's a really like kind of hard, uh, I feel like this... This to me had a lot of emotions, like how Darjeeling Limited had emotion. Um, yeah, Darjeeling Limited had a a lot of underlining, like family issues, but it was still somehow lighthearted, and it was it was very organic. You know, it's like you might not love your family, but they're the ones that you have. And I feel like this was very similar, which is like a bunch of strangers kind of very oddly coming together, but there's no real connection. And the two people who kind, or I guess two groups of people who kind of connect are. One of people who are a little bit very, very smart and a little bit antisocial and a little bit odd, and then two other characters who connect who are kind of connecting on both um being emotionally so numb and unavailable that they're a little dissociated. And I feel like most movies when you have people who are dissociated, it's always like a negative, kind of like the whale. you know what I mean? It has to be like dark and like really it's very depressing and. These were just two people who are like, hey, these are part of our characteristic traits. They don't commiserate with each other. I feel like they kind of are open with each other, and it just leads to a very quick, short bond. And just like his movies, in good spirit, everything's very light. And airy and um, impactful, but not, yeah. I mean, I'm being redundant, but it's just, it, it's very airy and light as always.
0: You're not being redundant, Jandra. You went on this several minute monologue <laughs> on Wes Anderson because, folks, I was coughing up a lung. This old man, this old 51 year old, was coughing so much that she saw my my brown face reddening at the at the grips of just. I don't he know, passed it the cough? baton. Was it, yeah, yeah. Was like <laughs> coughing blood. Was it whooping cough? Will I be? Will you take over this podcast with Bruce and Eric once I die from my cough? Are, are you are you up to the task? to do I that? think you it's the mine?
5: plague, right? That's your generation.
0: <laughs> That's my, <so> the, the, <laughs> the, the bubonic black,
5: plague. Yeah, the black plague. Yeah, da, da, yeah. yeah, the
0: black black death. Yeah. So I apologize. Yeah. Uh, this might be one of my last podcasts. Again, you, you will be able to meet Eric Holmes and Bruce Berkey. Maybe you'll take over the find your film business and maybe that's that's good because I'm not very good with this I might be one of these desperate souls looking for another place to live but until then I'm still live. I'm here with DeAndre Miranda yeah. again Zeitgeist Films and Kino Lorber present Desperate Souls Dark City and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy one more time June 23rd at the Film Forum in New York which I'm sure D'Andre Miranda this weekend will be haunting just for the vibes of that whole area. And then again in LA, which look, I I'm an I'm an LA guy since I was 10. And I'm again I, I'm 51. Doesn't have the same vibes as New York, let's just say it right now. But that said, there are art houses like the Lanley Town Center 5 in Encino, which by the way, I grew up on, I I don't know, we'll get to my movie, my movie memories of that, Encino-Lamley Town Center 5. I saw Clash of the Titans back in 1981 with my wow. late father. Great memories. Yeah, great, great, great memories. And I then love it. Yeah, at the Lamley Royale or Royal, I can, I'm just going to say, because it's not Houston and it's house, I'm going to say the Lamley Royale <laughs> in Los Angeles instead of the Royal. I'm going to try to be cultured here over in Santa Monica Boulevard, we'll have the links were on our show notes. Um, for all the information, anything else you want to say before we go, you want to promote something. Do you want to your IG or where can people find you? Uh,
5: so where IG? can people block
0: you? I don't know. It's like, uh, okay. Listen,
5: my life right now, it's pretty much same, same. I, every, <laughs> every week is different. I'm as bipolar as this, uh, you know, oh, th- this weather that's going on right now. Um, <laughs> no, but there's two things to promote. Um, so yeah, you can find me on IG at uh, D. E -E underscore m-i-r-a-n-d-a so that is at d underscore miranda and i think that you're being a little shy but we're going to be promoting that we are going to be having a new podcast that we are launching you and i together greg and i think it's going to be like a nice like a little experimental podcast and we're going to figure out how to kind of what were we talking about we're like talking about like late labels and age and some uh Culture stuff to kind of tie into the movies as well.
0: Okay. That's an interesting podcast. Yeah, Deandra had, no, no, she's not giving me any kind of, I mean, no, she's not giving herself any credit. She's had this really interesting podcast idea. Maybe I'll help her work and shape it out because she's a, a very good person and uh, you have a great voice and you've always wanted to have a journalism reporter or podcast kind of thing so maybe who knows maybe we'll figure something out maybe it might be a, a different kind of podcast that you are gonna be working on so I
5: think wh- it's a, a nice collaborative thing as two best friends you know it's like mm-hmm. uh again I think that people really the reason why they love the movies and they love Podcast is there's that relatability and uh, I think that that's uh, coming into a new thing. I feel like when we used to write, it'd be amazing, but now like everything's really visual. You know, people are on the go and listening, and it's uh, an avenue that I think that we should be discovering.
0: Okay, well, it's, it'll be <laughs> a really interesting avenue. Uh, you and I working on another podcast. I, my, my, actually, advice for you is let me help you set up the podcast, and we'll deal with the th- thematic of your podcast. Yes. Then make sure you kick me out because once you learn all the details, you'll have a better host. We're gonna give you. Oh. Some-
5: easy breeze that's like my dating life it's totally good
0: <laughs> okay good just make yeah, sure you're,
5: you're here you're here for three weeks and then you're gone uh,
0: yeah it's all business remember d okay so anyways uh listen I'm this not-
5: black heart you know I, I, <laughs> I can't help it
0: yeah i, I don't want to give you spoilers but you're you're in this situation you'll be buck and i'll be rats okay i'm not gonna give spoilers i wore the
5: hat for it. Yeah, I, 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 I wore the, hat. the hat. i yes, love the hat i love the hat yes i always wear hats you know the weather's like pretty shitty outside and yeah. i thought what's better than you know little Joe Buck. A cowboy hat.
0: Okay. Again, thank you guys. Tell us what you think of this podcast and hit, Deandra, if you want to hit her up on IG, I will put all, put it up on the show notes and who knows, we'll be doing a lot more stuff together. Take care, take care, guys. And thanks for listening to us here on Find Your Film. Some more interview segments are going to be in this episode as well. Just go to our show notes for all that information. Okay. Take care, guys.
1: Hello, this is Eric Holmes with uh, Cinematics, Find Your Film, and this week we have a couple interviews. We got uh, one for uh, the director and producer, uh, Jack Youngleson, and Sean Edwards-Beal for the documentary, Here is Better, Uh, mostly about PTSD, depression, kind of how to get over that, Um, you know, uh, with, with all these movies, we'll cover them on Cinematics. Um, but, uh, th- this was, uh, here is better is, um, what I like to call a Emma Griffith, uh, joint. Uh, she always, uh, she's a PR person always sends me great stuff. A lot of PR people send me great stuff. And then last but not least, or maybe in a different order, depending on what, uh, order Greg puts these in. we have Sheila Omi. Um, she does the voice of Cinder in the Pixar movie Elemental, um, and she's also in a TV show called Tehran. I'm not quite through with that yet, but uh making my way through as fast as I can. Um, and it's a pretty great show. And more importantly, uh, she directed a movie called Wake Up Sleeping Beauty. And we talk about this in an interview, but the the you know, as double features go, you want um something that's uh, you know, two movies that maybe have a similar uh, they have a similar take uh similar flavor um this one elemental and wake up sleeping beauty has really deep themes to them and they you know one's the fun family friendly version of it and the other one's more of a thoughtful uh you know adult drama uh not adult film that's uh, on a different website than you're listening to this one but uh yeah, Wake Up Sleeping Beauty was a revelation for me. I, I just watched that watched that movie, which is on, uh, you can find it on YouTube. And I, I was blown away from it, blown away by it. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely rough around the edges because it was shot during COVID. She talks about all that in the interview, but I, it, it really resonated with me a lot. I hope a lot of people get to check it out. And hopefully it moves you the same way it moved me. Um, but yeah, uh, here's better. Elemental, Wake Up Sleeping Beauty, all pretty great movies in their own right. And uh but, you know, a bunch of different uh you know different flavors for you. If you're into the family uh Pixar stuff, elemental's the pretty good Pixar movie. Wake Up Sleeping Beauty will make you think about um, you know, maybe some people you disagree with, but you still love and you wanna bring them back into the fold. And here is better. You know, we all uh we all have our things that we're dealing with and in that you get to watch people deal with it so and i hope you enjoy i'm here with jack Youngleton and sean edwards beal uh the director and producer of the documentary here is better which gets into ptsd and uh really all of its forms normally people think of ptsd is uh uh very specific to uh, veterans and it certainly uh, involves them, but you also have a character that has the uh, PTSD uh, with uh, sexual abuse and there's all manners of it. Uh, mostly you stick with the, with the veterans, but uh, um, I guess what, what brought you to this project? Cause it's uh, I think it's something that's important for a lot of people. It, it's been kind of depression. has been kind of buried for so long and only recently in the last few years has have people been able to kind of speak out about it and help other people going through the same thing?
3: Well, our executive producer, Bill Brandt, um, came to us with the New York Times story that more veterans um, take their own life once they get home than are killed in battle. And that statistic alone was enough to um, make us want to make a difference in this world.
1: Yeah. and Is there any um, sort of, uh, uh, trepidation going into something like this because the people you're talking to um for lack of a better word are kind of fragile and that they don't want to a lot of them don't want to live they their brain lies to them and gives them every reason to in their lives and so what's kind of a responsibility in a documentary like this uh, to make sure that you don't maybe overstep a line or trigger someone watching it to take that unfortunate step?
2: That's a it's a huge responsibility, and and we you know we thought about that every minute of of making the film, and um, especially in you know in filming therapy sessions and filming people with their most vulnerable moments. And you know, if there were things that individuals did not want us to film, if there are subjects they didn't want us to touch on. We always honor that and respect that. Um, some people did not want us filming in individual therapy sessions. Others only said in group others said we don't be filmed at all and so it was always a you know a a careful a a careful response and and a a response that was designed to to you know protect the people that we were we were following we recognized always kind of their commitment to us and we wanted to honor that in a way that didn't didn't hurt them
1: yeah and also like uh, you know it's all this, I I suffer from my own my own depression. In fact, uh probably once we're done with this interview, I'll just be looking back on it and go, son of a bitch, Eric, why'd you ask that? What'd you do? <laughs> just beat myself up. But uh um one of the things I love that you brought up in this is that uh you uh, you bring up that just because your trauma was air quote worse than mine doesn't make my trauma irrelevant. And I love that, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about that, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's such a powerful idea, and even the fact that you're talking about your own depression and you feel comfortable doing that is is a is a powerful thing in and of itself to be able to kind of you know speak honestly about mental health issues, and and I think what you're talking about too is something that Jason mentions in the film, which is like, did he deserve treatment? Did he deserve care? Were there others who saw so much more? And it was a therapist who helped him kind of see through that and recognize that his experience is uniquely his own, and it was traumatic what he went through, and of course he deserved the care that he got. And I think that that was a revelatory for him and so important step, such an important step as he started his journey. Yeah,
1: I don't I don't think people go to a doctor and go, "Oh, I'd love to fix your broken leg," but his leg's missing, so we can't do anything for you. It seems kind of a, a ridiculous way to go about that. Um, I, I kind of want to speak on uh uh Jack, you've done uh, uh, almost as far as I can tell exclusively documentaries and you have a lot of writing credits and I, I've always asked this of uh, documentary filmmakers um about what what writing for a documentary is like for so for instance for the uh uh you know voiceover, I can understand the writing on that. but what does a screenplay? if there is one look like for a documentary and how is it different than say a screenplay for a narrative feature?
2: Well, you're right that sometimes writing for a documentary could be writing voiceover that, that creates the structure for the film, but other times writing can be working intensely with the scenes and, and the writing is stripped out of it and trying to find a flow through the narrative. So it it can mean a lot of different things. It's not traditional in the sense as it might be in a, in a narrative film where there's a script that dictates what the scenes are, what the action is.
1: Yeah. And also what, uh, and this goes for both of you, what, what goes into, uh, um, what goes into wanting to jump on a project? Like what interests you or what makes you say, I want to spend, I need to spend time doing this because it's important to say, or maybe I just want to do something like this, or it's fun for me. Like what, what goes into that process?
3: I think telling, you know, stories that, you know, what was important about this film was was the fact that it was a story wanting to look at this and see if there was a way to find hope. There have been a lot of films about PTSD and the fact that we were um, going to make our way through this to find hope for people um, who were who were suffering was uh was a motivate was a big part of the journey for me and um i think telling those kinds of stories telling stories which inspire people um is something that really matters to me
2: jet yeah i think that also being in you know really telling a powerful story like this through, through the personal experience of of the individuals who are are living through it and are seeking help it was always important to us not to just make a talking heads documentary that was outside that experience so to be in it felt like the the most powerful impactful way to tell it yeah also i i guess to
1: that point um you know just not talking heads you have a lot of shots in here that are really beautiful to look at and they're kind of uh fly on the wall kind of shots uh i guess on a technical aspect what's uh what's kind of your approach to shooting stuff cuz Granted, you're not, you know, there's not always I imagine there's not always action when you're shooting, but you still get uh, shots like behind someone's head or uh, someone, you know, looking longingly at wherever. Like, uh, I, like, where do those shots come from? And uh, just kind of what's the process there?
2: Well, we had an amazing cinematographer, Daniel Carter, who shot the really the entire film. Um, and he committed to using prime lenses which are not zoom lenses, which give the film a more filmic, intimate, personal look. And he almost has to shoot like an an editor. He has to kind of think like an editor as he films. And he did an amazing job because without a zoom lens, you can't zoom in on a certain detail. You always have to follow the action. You always have to be present. And I think you really feel that. You really feel like you're in the room in a beautiful way and yeah. powerful.
1: Have you guys, I, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure this has happened once or twice, but, uh, you know, you get to, uh, you bring a camera, you know, people allow uh, insight into their lives. And sometimes, you, as you say, they they don't want that or want you to go away, which I'm, I'm absolutely sure you respect it. But uh, you also have some scenes where people are very vulnerable, and I think they're quite brave for allowing you to be there. But what was that? What was that kind of like? being in the room when someone's just kind of that they're most vulnerable yeah
2: well, go ahead Sarah.
3: in the room I was gonna say we weren't in the room um for a lot of that um it was just we were only allowed to put the the, the DP in um in the room oh. so uh, uh, and Jack can speak more to the process of this but um we were we were outside of the room.
2: And um, but yeah, listen, it was it was very impactful, and we're very sensitive to the decision making that went into what we included in the film, and what we did not include in the film. It's also in the course of the therapy sessions, we weren't filming every therapy session. So even though in Cincinnati we were there for eight weeks, you know, we were only filming a fraction of the one-on-one sessions that took place. So we, you know, the therapeutic process went on its own path and we were witness to certain parts of it and, and that's what we constructed the story from but um you know i think it's also it's a it's a the relationship built on trust between the filmmaking team and the individual but it's the individual who is on the screen who's who's the most vulnerable and we always try to respect that and make sure that we didn't violate that trust in any way and made sure that they felt comfortable. They've all seen the film and they and and have, you know, have embraced the way that they're portrayed the individuals who are featured in the in the documentary. So we we feel we feel very good about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I I love what you guys did with this and by the way the, the love the title they explain it in the uh uh they explain it in the docs I won't do it here but here is better is uh And there's so many ways I can I can kind of take that. There's a way that they, you know, mentioned it in the film. And then it's kind of like, you know, I'm alive, you know, here is better than dead. You know, Um, I've gotten I've uh, gotten through, uh, you know, I've made a major breakthrough through my depression. Here is better than where I was. And I I love I love titles like that that can kind of on its own can kind of make you, uh, you know, dance around in your head and think of uh, different ways to think about it. That's good. It's wonderful.
2: So, oh, go ahead. I oh, know. I'm just saying it's wonderful that it touched you that way, because that's that's exactly what we hoped it would do.
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go to something a little fun because it can't all be all doom and gloom. But uh, my um, my co-host Bruce has a box. And we have a what's in the box segment and in the box. Uh, we have people put in movies that are underseen um or they just you know oh that's a really good movie no one ever talks about it so what was a movie that you would like to put in the box that we can maybe talk about later and uh you weren't prepped for this one but i'll I'll throw this out there what would be a good double feature for here is better maybe a movie uh that kind of uh speaks to the same themes and ideas that here is better brings forth
2: Uh, I'm going to go with Little Dieter Needs to Fly. It's a Werner Herzog film, a documentary. It's very powerful, and it addresses trauma. and I think it's a it's an amazing movie that more people should see. Awesome!
1: It's a very good answer. I like it a lot. (laughs) And Sean, do you have one as well?
3: Um, To to go to make a double feature or to go in the box or both? Jack managed to get both of his to go. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, both both.
3: Uh, two different ones, or uh, I or or, or, or uh, just one one uh, that have-
1: well, one can encompass both or you can give us two that the more the merrier so if if you want to put fifty <laughs> in there, we're fine with that
3: <laughs> um it, it, a little known film that that I really love that got to go in the box is a, a film called the uh, Jesus of Montreal that i that I really love um and and doesn't and doesn't get much much of a viewing. I don't know if you ever saw it. Um, And, you know, a double feature with with here is better is maybe um, maybe Philadelphia, because Philadelphia was a film that changed the way that people thought about um, AIDS. Uh, And, um, you know, our hope is that this is a film that will change the way that um, people think about mental health and PTSD.
1: Yeah, those are all great picks. Um, And I'm also uh, this is kind of. A little off subject where can i find debunking borax i'm looking at that in the uh <laughs> idea for that and that just sounds like a such a great idea for a for a show
2: <laughs> on amazon
1: all right well i'll have to check that out uh jack sean thank you for joining me today and you guys are doing the lord's work so to speak and i, I love what you did with this and hopefully every it gets in front of the eyes that need to see it the most thank you Thanks. Is it uh, Sheila Omi? I want to make sure I, Omi. Okay, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing Omi. that correctly. I, I put I put my foot in my mouth one time and never again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm here with uh, Sheila Omi. Um, you play uh, Cinder in the uh, new Pixar movie Elemental. And I was looking at your IMDb, and your first uh, major uh, feature length movie was uh, Charlie Wilson's War. So right away, you get to work with uh, Mike Nichols and Aaron Sorkin, uh, which is, uh, hey, that, coming out of the gate run. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's how
4: I got my SAG card, by the way. Nice. Wow.
1: So uh, uh, what what's it like, uh, you know, uh, you have a lot of acting credits and uh, producing credits and uh, directing credit, which, by the way, we'll get into that later on. But uh, what, what's uh, kind of. What's kind of your take on just uh, being in Hollywood, doing the work? Do you prefer uh, one aspect of movie making over another one, or? Where's your kind of thoughts on that?
4: I love voiceover work so much because um, you know you you don't have to deal with the. I, I feel like with the arts, it's a tightrope you're walking on anything that you do. So for film acting, you're walking a tightrope with your voice, a tightrope with your emotions, a tightrope physically. And so when you do animation, at least the physical tightrope is out of the way. And that's a really tough one for me. And I have to do a lot of preparation for it to make sure I'm not too big and not too bland, and that it's just the right amount of uh, materials I'm using. But animation, I can just have fun and be physical and, and, and I don't have to do as much preparation for it as I do for on camera work. So have a lot more fun with it. And what
1: and what's backing work what, Oh. And what in uh I guess uh with the voiceover work, what, what's kind of the so you get called, you get called, uh and you're gonna do uh this uh voiceover character, like what's the what's the process like that? Like how long are you uh you know, when you're doing a movie you're on set for a couple of weeks, uh probably not the case with animation, like what's the work process like with that?
4: So um, it's always different with this Elemental. I had the great honor and privilege that Peter Son, who is the director and he's the creator and uh, co-writer of uh, Elemental, he called me and he said that he had... been wanting to cast the character of Cinder for a while and he'd gone through a number of really amazing actresses and voiceover artists but he wasn't able to find the quality that he needed for Cinder because Cinder was based on his Korean mom and so I was just so grateful that Somewhere in my voice, he heard the quality of his mother, who had passed away a couple years earlier. God bless her soul. And so it became so important for me to do a good job, not only because Peter had entrusted me with this uh, work, but also I felt like his mom's soul is watching me. (laughs) So...
1: Yeah. I I also, and I don't get to watch a lot of TV because the watching, you know, uh, anywhere from five to 10 movies a week, I don't have time to get into a series, but I knew I was talking to you. So I had to give Tehran a shot. Holy crap. That show's awesome. (laughs) I'm only, I'm only, I'm only four episodes into that. What, uh, what kind of became like, how did that get into life? And Oh, am I just now, now hearing of it? I, I must be living under a rock or something, because this, this thing is a hidden gem, at least from my perspective.
4: It really is. It really is a hidden gem. And I feel like with Tehran, it really takes a higher brow audience to get into it, because there are three different languages being spoken. There's English, but there's also Hebrew. There's also Persian. And sometimes you have to read subtitles. And um, But yeah, what a hidden gem, right? What a ride that is.
1: I Actually, um, I assume you're multilingual uh, just based on the the stuff I've seen of yours. And I kind of want to uh, – this is probably an incredibly uh, ignorant question, but I just don't know. So maybe I'll become unignorant. I'm not multilingual, but a lot of times I'll hear people speaking uh, – the people are ta- – they are talking to each other, both know different languages. And sometimes they'll switch from one language to another seemingly at random, but maybe not. What – where does that come from, like uh, topping th- uh, from one language to another when you're speaking to someone else? Right? Because I've seen that in movies, and I've also seen that in some of the stuff that you've worked on, um, among other things.
4: There, there are certain ideas that are just so much easier to express in one language versus another. Like I've heard that English is the best language for uh, instruction manuals right? Persian is an incredible language for metaphors and for poetry. So, um, there are times when you're giving instructions that it's just so much easier to do in English. Um, and, uh, you know, so yeah, so I, I go in and out myself. Like if you spoke Farsi, I might've done a couple sentences in Farsi with you. <laughs>
1: um I, actually another thing and i wish i saw this so much earlier than today but uh i caught up with uh, wake up sleeping beauty i found now i don't know if this is a proper way to watch it i found it on youtube and if there's yes, it, yeah. if there's a better place uh yeah. you, youtube's good great yeah holy crap um <laughs> you saw that yeah I, I and I, I wish I would have watched it a couple of days earlier because I'm still kind of just even talking to you now. I'm still processing that the the amount of beauty and the the way that uh you know the the whole setup of it, the writing of it is just fantastic. What brought you into that? And uh I'd I'd love to watch this the stage play. I'd, I'd love to, this is kind of like a Twelve Angry Men for me. Like I'd love to see a different take of this. Like every couple of years to get new actors chance to uh, do the material because this was just fantastic i love this
4: you for watching it and did you know that um none of the actors ever met each other to this day that each actor came in individually i turned my living room into a green screen studio and i gave an eye so it looks like they're talking to each other but they've never met yeah we put that backdrop on thank you so much for saying that this was um commissioned by the los angeles county department of mental health as you know, it was supposed to be a play originally. And then COVID happened and they said, you can't do a play. You want to do a Zoom play read? And the play was written by my uh, dear friend, Mastel Mohadam, who is a therapist. So it just had so much psychological um, gems. Um, it's so interesting that uh, to bring it back to um, Elemental, What what? was such a connection was that in in the cartoon the animated film, Elemental, the character of Ember, who is the daughter of immigrants, resonates so much with the character of Daria, who is uh, the daughter of immigrants. And that same guilt that all children of immigrants feel, and I'm also a, an immigrant and a child of immigrants, that there is a burden that we are burdened with and, and a guilt that really puts a damper on our lives. And, and you would think that, my God, life is so short, do what you want, but there is a part of us that we can't because we're so keenly aware of the sacrifices that our family made for us to be able to live and this is uh, a situation that, you know, people that don't have that immigrant experience might not have.
1: Yeah. I I'd also like, I, I love the, uh, in a similar theme with uh wake up sleeping beauty. Um, the uh, air quote, bad guys. I, I don't think that's quite the intention, but you get, you get a really right. honest look inside their lives. Cause they're right. basically the, you know, you have the montage scenes where they're basically expressing their feelings. Right. And, like, I don't agree with them, but I totally understand where they're coming from. And then at the end, when she wants to bring, like, she, she's, she sees how her family is, like, hurting her and hurting her daughter that's about to come into the world. Instead of being angry with them, although she is, she wants to bring them in because she loves them. And it's, I I, I was thinking of Wade uh, in Elemental, watch it, just even hearing someone describe this movie, just, like, bawling, which I, I'm probably going to do right now. But, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs>
4: falling crying like wait oh my god thank you so much for watching it so deeply and that was so important to me in that film too. uh exactly what you said that at the end that she's not angry she's loving them because you can't be angry and you know and where is anger going to get you which is by the way ember's problem in Elemental that she's just <laughs> got these anger issues that she's trying to um surmount
1: yeah well um not normally, like with uh, someone making a movie, I'd ask them what uh, a good uh, double feature uh, for the movie they're advertising, in this case, uh, Elemental. But I think Wake uh, Wake Up Sleeping Beauty would be a fantastic movie to double feature with Elemental because they're, they're, they're married in so many wonderful ways.
4: Three ways. Wow, um, oh, I'm just blown away that you picked up on that. Yeah. Thank you.
1: But uh, one of the things I ask everyone is we have a What's in the Box segment. And what we have people put in the box is a movie that you like that's important to you. Not necessarily a movie that you were in or part of, but a movie that you enjoy that you think is uh, more people should see or more people should uh, like uh, something that's important to you that you'd like to put in the box that you think uh, more people should have eyes on.
4: Wow, You know, there was a movie called Ishtar that I loved. This movie is hilarious. And I cannot believe that the critics panned it. The way they did and i wish more people would, would have seen it with with open eyes it's just so sad when when you know a few critics don't like something and they just destroy the just so many years of effort and work that that good people put into something and something that is good that is really good i felt like that was such a great film and i laughed out loud yeah. so much in the theater
1: yeah we had that. Uh- we had someone on the on the show that uh, was talking about uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two. That's another movie that's widely panned, but for but for him, it's like you know he saw so much more in it that uh, most people don't, and that that's kind of like why, like you know, on our show, like if we review something like we don't like it, that's that's our opinion. You know, mm-hmm. that there, there's going to be someone else that's their favorite movie, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um. Also, uh, I guess I'll just end up with this. Uh, you got a couple of things coming up. You got Sisters, The Last King, Chaos. Uh, is there anything you can say about any of those? Because I'm becoming quite a quick fan of you and would love to see anything else you're in in the future. Thank
4: you so much. So season three of Tehran is going to be coming. We don't have a date yet, but finished filming. Um. And chaos is a really beautiful uh, creation of, uh, there's a brilliant writer. She's from the UK. Her name is Charlie Cole. And she um, wrote um, the end of the effing world. And I think that's a Netflix show. And you'll just see the brilliance of her writing on that show. And uh, so she's written and she's um, um, created uh, and, and produced chaos. And what I can tell you is that it's about um, if the uh, Greek mythological characters were alive today and they all lived in Crete and uh, it is a fun show. And I don't know when it's coming out. It might be sometime next spring or summer, but uh, I can't wait that, uh, when it's out and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk because oh, I think we sure. really enjoy it.
1: Yeah. And, and hopefully I'll have a wake up sleeping beauty kind of that that movie is living rent free in my head for quite a while. So I uh, uh, think thank you for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, I look forward to what you got going on in the future.
4: Oh, my God. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.